Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, it's the Super Bowl this week. Who do you got in the big game? You know, I think uh, I've learned all my life to never bet against Tom Brady. But fuck it. Kansas City Chiefs, 35. Buccaneers, 31. We heard for all those years, don't bet against Tom Brady. I think now for the next however many years that Mahomes is where he's at, we're going to hear don't bet against Mahomes. And you know what? I'm not going to bet against Mahomes. I think it will be close because, let's face it, Aaron Rodgers played really well this season and the Tampa defense absolutely shut him down. But I still got to give the edge to Mahomes. I'm going to go I'm gonna go a score that's out there. I'm going to go 20, 27 to 20. No, a lot of people say put 27 in their scores. I'm going to guess 27. How how often, like, when people are picking games, do people guess 27? (laughs) Nobody ever guesses 27 in a football score. (laughs) It's, you know, I feel like it does happen more often than it's guessed. But I'm more more fascinated by the fact that you think this is going to be a low-scoring game with what's going to end up being the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. Down the line. Uh, you're Pretty- talking about Chad Henney and uh, Blaine Gabbert, right? Right. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert. I learned this week that Blaine Gabbert was the backup for the Bucks, And if Tom Brady goes out at all, this game is over. It's it's over. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, is that, a, is that supposed to be a hot take? No, but like you could do a lot better at backup quarterback, I feel like, than Blaine Gabbert. I don't know, man. He he carried the Jacksonville Jaguars to a couple of nice, you know, four and five win seasons. They didn't deserve to be there, so I think he needs more credit than that. The disrespect. I don't. I don't even know who I'm gonna say you're disrespecting, but this is uh. Let's let's get this trade. This trade is already way off the tracks. It's teetering over. Let's let's call Superman in to get this trade back on the tracks. So um, before we begin our teams for the week. We decided our teams for next week, and because, again, we always forget this. I'm going to put this at the front of the show in case you want to know. Next week, our teams are going to be the Lakers, the 76ers, and my former Chicago Bulls. I I say former because I have a a rational hatred of that franchise, and I don't want to see them succeed, so I will try my best to stay objective, just like Dylan Hughes this week will try his best to stay objective. I'm assuming he'll fail because he loves loves his Indiana Pacers and his Detroit Pistons. Um, Speaking of the Detroit Pistons, that's probably the best place to start, right? Wouldn't you say, Dylan? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton to say, so I feel like it'd be nice to just kind of sweep them out of the way. Not a ton. Well, we got to eat crow, but... Let's let's go ahead and get started with the Pistons. The Pistons are five and sixteenth. They are last in the East, and I'm assuming at this point they're the worst in the league. I actually think Minnesota's one game, one game worse than they are, but it's it's close. It's a nail biter for the last uh, for the first lottery spot. You know, always got to keep an eye on that. But so the, they actually beat the Los Angeles Lakers one hundred seven to ninety two without AD, but still 
impressive nonetheless. They lost to the Golden State Warriors 118-91 in a game that was more remarkable for Draymond saying Rodney than anything that actually happened on the court. And then they hung with the Jazz surprisingly well and lost 117 to 105 to the best team in the league. Um, Dylan, is there anything more disrespectful in the league than Draymond Green calling Mr. Magruder Rodney? (laughs) I mean, there's got to be something considering that's literally his name. But it was so disrespectful, though. Like the the inflection, like, you know, Draymond's like a master communicator. That was so disrespectful, Dylan Hughes. Yeah, I know, but like I was thinking about this. I'm kind of just getting sick of big name stars talking about players that don't matter. It's like it's just like why? Like okay. And I guess this kind of this doesn't really apply to that specifically, but Jared Dudley is in the news right now for talking about Paul George. And I was just thinking it's funny how we never talk about Jared Dudley until he talks about someone else. Good it's point. like Jared, Jared Dudley is not capable of actually making his own headlines. So he has to use other players to make headlines, but it's like, I guess I'm just mature enough at the point at the wise age of 23 where all this drama and shit is just for the birds to me, but like just play ball, man. I don't know. Like it's, I know this is a very get off my lawn type of thing, but it's just like, just, just put the ball in the basket, man. Come on, please. Your birthday's in October, right? <laughs> September. September. You're you're a whole three months older than me, Dylan. But I I can feel the, I can feel the months of experience you have on you. You know, just berating me for loving listen i'm not for the drama either but i just thought it was like draymond being so disrespectful was funny i don't know i think draymond's hilarious i think he's going to be the next sparkly but we're, we're already off the rails about the pistons too this is going to be a wonderful podcast because we're just we're not staying on track at all um so to try to pivot back to our actual usual analysis jeremy grant is balling his ass off this season he is playing just phenomenal basketball, 23.7 points a game, 45% from the field, 40% from three on six attempts a game, six free throw attempts a game, six rebounds, three assists, a block and a steal. Dylan Hughes. All right. First of all, we obviously didn't see this coming. So that's not the question I'm going to ask you. Do you believe that this is sustainable even at this rate? And do you think, do you think that Jeremy Grant should be the piece that the Pistons build their future around? I think it is sustainable because, I mean, this is 21 games at this point. I feel like this is the point you start to see drop off. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to say he's going to be a consistent 20-point scorer every night. Like, maybe he does take a small tick down. But the shots that he's getting, I feel like, are the shots that he's had in the past. He's just getting more of them now. Like, we were talking about pre-pod that – I mean, last year in Denver, he was a pretty reliable offensive piece. Like, they didn't use him a ton because, you know, they had Jokic and Murray. But there were times at the end of the game where Grant would get the ball and just go to the rim and, and like, he would score. He won them I, a playoff game last year. Exactly. Like, I I think he, he was really showing last year that he's capable of this. And, and, see, even the year before in OKC, which I think he was starting to get attention around the league then as, like, a pretty solid player – even then, he just wasn't that good offensively. 
But last year in, in Denver, you could just really see it blossoming. And right now it's like he's just getting the ball so much. And, I mean, he's – you know, obviously he's getting good looks at the rim, you know, by the – or in the paint. But he's getting some good looks from three too. And he's just – pulling up and knocking him down. I mean, I definitely didn't see this working out, especially with him playing the three, but I mean, it's working somehow. So I love the way he's playing. Right. And now granted, I do think he does have a little bit of a factor where he is doing this on the ball, but he's not initiating the offense. Right. And we'll talk about this guy later, probably, because I think he's a fascinating player to talk about just for the scope of the league. But Blake Griffin has been initiating a lot of their offense, right? Like in the lieu of um, the French kid's name, Killian Hayes. Um, He's been initiating the offense a lot, and he's setting up Grant to – he's putting Grant in positions where he can get not an easy score, but make his life a little bit easier. And Jeremy Grant, to his credit, he is taking advantage of those situations. I like the way his passing vision is improved. He's just doing a lot of <laughs> a lot of different stuff. And again, I prefaced it. Neither of us saw this coming. He did not play this way in Denver at all. He won the game for them in the conference finals. Yes. But one game in the conference finals, you know, you can get hot, right? Like everybody's capable of that. So <sighs> he was clearly capable of this, okay? Do you think that Mike Malone <laughs> should be castigated for not making the most of Jeremy Grant while he had him? You know, I don't know. Like, again, playing with Jokic and Murray, you just got to give those guys the shots in the ball. And when you drop down to Grant, it's just tough. And I think that's probably why he wanted to leave because we've talked about this before, but they were going to match that contract the Pistons gave him. So I, I think they recognized his talent and they were willing. I mean, I mean, I haven't looked at their cap sheet, but there's no way they wouldn't have gone into the luxury tax with that. And I mean, he just, he realized he's like, you know what? I've really grown as a player and like, I mean, looking back to his Philadelphia days, he has just grown tremendously. I mean, he was like a lob guy early in his career. That's really all he was. He didn't really have much offensive skill at all. And the amount of tools he's added to his game over the years is just incredible. And I think he was just to the point, he's like, you know what? I don't really care if I win. I've been on a couple of playoff teams and it just hasn't really worked out for me. I haven't gotten a lot of opportunities. I'm just going to go to Detroit and make some good money and just get all the shots. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, it's it's tough to look back in hindsight when a player leaves and just blossoms like that. But I think it was more that Grant just recognized his worth and he wanted an opportunity to go somewhere else and show that. And again, like when you play on good teams, there's just going to be someone sacrificing and Last year, it happened to be Grant, but now he's not sacrificing much at all. Yeah, it is crazy. Like, we, again, we talked about how much we liked him in Denver. He did not, like, he has a pull-up game now. (laughs) He did not have a pull-up game in 2019-20. Like, imagine watching Jeremy Grant on the Oklahoma City Thunder team that, you know, took a massive L from Damian Lillard in the first round. And imagine telling yourself that there is a guy who's playing for them that in two years will be averaging 23.7 points a game through the first quarter of the season and will have be pulling up off the dribble 
and it'll be just doing so much for you on the basketball floor. Cause he's not sacrificed. Like the thing about it is that's crazy. He's been as good on defense too. He hasn't really sacrificed any of his defensive ability. I love the way that Jeremy Grant has been playing this year. Like, I don't know if this is particularly sustainable, but 20 points a game on like 44% shooting from the field, taking that many shots. That's pretty good, Dylan. Yeah. And you know, as far as building around him, I, I struggle with that. I still, it's just hard for me to buy in uh, to him being like a, a featured cornerstone type of player still. Um, because I feel like you have somewhat of a hard ceiling, but if he's your second best player, you're probably a decent playoff team. Like, I don't, I can't think of really a good comparison of what his ceiling could be, but I mean, he's, I think he definitely, Chris Middleton. I did think about Chris Middleton for a second, but I thought that was probably too generous. But like, that's why I said dollar store Chris Middleton. Yeah, that's that's again, that's that's the type of range I'm thinking because Middleton compared to the stars around the league is not an ideal second best player. But if you have a really good first player, those type of players are really nice compliments and the thing about Middleton, which we discussed last week is the dude can score from anywhere. And that's kind of what Grant's becoming again, not, not nearly as reliable. And I, you know, I don't, I don't anticipate Grant being a 40 point, you know, guy in the playoffs, if you really need him to, maybe he could be, I don't know, but I mean, I, I think that the Pistons should continue to look for young pieces to build around. And, and again, may, maybe it's okay for right now to do this and, and let these young guys come up on their own. But I would imagine at some point Grant is probably going to be moved elsewhere to compliment some superstar. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is going to sound – I know Michael Porter Jr., like, obviously, yes, this podcast has been very critical of Michael Porter Jr. But imagine if this version of Grant, which is completely feasible as a third option, right? He could still be getting the shots like about the same, not maybe about the same, but like 17 shots a game instead of 20 as the third option. I think I would rather do that in Denver. But, you know, I understand if Denver didn't think he was capable of this. Nobody thought he was capable of this. I doubt if you put a if you put a gun to Troy Weaver's head, he would have thought that Jeremy was capable of this. But okay, do you want to guess what Jeremy Grant's um, differential is according to Cleaning the Glass? Oh, I was just about to look, so I'm glad you asked me before I cheated. But um, I don't know, like plus eleven, maybe. Plus 17.9. The offense is 11 points better, and the defense is 7 points better when he's on the floor. It's it's just ridiculous. He's been that fucking good. And if you put... Again, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Probably not the, the guy I'd want as a first option on a championship team. But this guy is like a second option? I could see that going phenomenally, right? Like, let's just say somehow, right? We talked, we said the Bulls. Let's just say somehow you got like, you upgraded from Zach Levine and you put him as the second guy, right? Like, let's just say you somehow, for whatever reason, you traded Levine 
you trade Levine for Beal, and then you have Jeremy Grant as the second guy. I would like Grant as the second guy next to Beal. I think you would compliment him on the defensive end, and he would do compliment him on the offensive end as well. Because he can play off ball. He learned the off ball skills. And that's the nice thing about when these guys like Kawhi or Mikhail Bridges, when Mikhail Bridges takes the jump that you, you know, ex- are demanding him to take almost. I would say, I would say demand. Demand might be a little harsh, but I, you know, I like to be a little harsh. Um, <laughs> but like those guys know how to play off ball. And that's going to be huge because now he knows what to do. He's not going to be like, okay. I've never had to play off ball in my life, right? Like, you can't take a guy like I mean, Luke is a bad example. Um, Trey Young. When has Trey Young ever not dribbled the ball in his whole life? Like, he's always been the guy that's been dribbling the ball at every level of basketball he's played, including this one. He got to the Hawks, and they were an incredibly shitty team. No one on that team was going to take the the ball out of his hands. Jeremy Grant has the necessary experience to play off ball, and I think that's huge. I think it's huge, especially playing next to Blake. I think playing next to Blake. Now, obviously, yes. We can, I'll use this to transition to Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is not anywhere near Jokic as a passer. But goddamn, if he's not capable of just running an offense now, he was all NBA like three seasons ago. He's capable of doing it. I don't think he – he's not capable of being all NBA again. But, I mean, Dylan, you got to think if Blake Griffin wasn't on this contract, people wouldn't be talking about him like he's a total bust at this point, like in terms of the this latest contract. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad because I've always been a Blake Griffin fan. And I was excited when the Clippers gave him that contract because, I mean, initially they built that team around him because they got rid of Chris Paul. Um, I think they got rid of DeAndre. Like everyone was gone except him. And, you know, they got Pat Bev. They got Lou Will. They got a bunch of guys that could play around someone like that and not necessarily handle the ball. They're like, Blake is going to be the main initiator. And I was excited because I thought that was exactly what he needed. Um, I mean, those Clippers teams were good, obviously, but there was, you know, there was clearly some, some mental something, something going on with them where they just couldn't get to that next level. And I thought they kind of washed a lot of that away when they traded Paul and, and all those other guys out. And I was excited for Blake, man, because he's had like he's had so many injury problems and there's always been something. But he has had some seasons where he's been a superstar and he just has been again, all these injuries have dampened that. But I mean, he's it's going to be interesting when he gets to the end of his career, what it looks like, because I feel like he's going to be kind of a major what if that we look back on as like one of those su- super talented guys that just never was able to figure it out um, or find his place. And hopefully, hopefully after this contract ends, he's able to do that somewhere. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> as soon as he got traded to Detroit, it's like, Oh man, it's, it's kind of over for him. And, and there were some fun times with, with, I thought him and Drummond weren't awful together. There were some fun moments with those two. And him and Plumley are not a good fit at all. But, you know, it's this team is not meant to win, so it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, I, I'm still holding out hope for Blake that he figures it out. But, I mean, the dude is like – he's not even 32 yet. I mean, I feel like he still has a lot of time left. And, I mean, he makes fucking $39 million next year, which is just ludicrous. But once his contract's over, he's I'm, – I'm excited to see where he ends up. 
Like, there's no reason he can't find like a Dario Saric kind of role on another team. Like, he's gonna he's gonna really help a contender because he's gonna provide offense off the bench. You know, with the playmaking. I was texting you earlier. I texted this to you and Caleb. He's gonna be like six nine. Jason Kidd, like how Jason Kidd was on the Mavs, right? Where he just, you know, could run an offense. He could make open threes. Now, Blake's three-point percentage this year isn't great, but he's a average, like, three-point shooter. Like, just like Jason Kidd was. Jason Kidd never was a good three-point shooter. He somehow ended up being, like, third on the all-time three-pointers list, even though he wasn't a good shooter. But the thing about Jason Kidd was he was always stronger than everybody who was guarding him, so he could just back him down. And the crazy thing about Blake is he's still stronger than, like, most of the league, I would say, he. There's no reason why he can't, you know, when he's done with this contract, just play backup center for someone. Yes, they're going to give up a lot of points, but you're going to score even more, especially if you're a contender. <laughs> I think that they're like his ball handling, his passing, his strength. There's going to be a team that could use him. You're right with Mason Plumley on the floor. It's a horrible fit because he needs to be inside majority of the time, but. Even then, I wouldn't mind if they ran more Plumley Griffin pick and rolls, you know, try to get him involved that way, utilize his passing because Blake is the by far the best passer on the floor for the Pistons. It's not close. And I really like the way that they're, you know, even though he's shooting horribly, I think that Blake is playing really well, all things considered. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I was just thinking about this when you're talking. I don't think people ever talk about this because he's a, like not a center. But he may be one of the best post players in the league. I mean, when he gets the ball, like he's going to back almost anyone down and put it over them. It doesn't really seem like he's even trying that hard. And again, the fact that he's added some of this outside game, which he definitely should be in the post. I mean, he's he's made his money around the rim. Obviously, earlier in his career is with the dunks, but now he's just really figured out how to score over anyone, like I said. And, again, I just hate – I hate that this is happening to him. It's just – it hurts me because it's probably, like, one of the most hopeless situations in the league for someone like that. I mean – and it just sucks for – I guess him and Kevin Love are in the same boat. At least the Cavs are, like, starting to move forward. But – I mean, they're not going to get traded, and they're not going to make the playoffs. Well, I guess the Cavs could, but they're not going to do anything in the playoffs, even if they get there. So it's like, it's almost like, what's the point? And in and, and the NBA, you only have so much time. So it, it's tough to watch Blake in this situation. But again, hopefully, hopefully he's able to get through and not suffer any more injuries because I think he still has something left to give to the NBA. Of course, he like... It's like, just real quick, big picture, because we don't do a whole lot of like big picture talk on this podcast, but you brought up the whole post player thing. He posted up LeBron last week. Now, I know I know LeBron probably wasn't trying that much, but he still was getting, like he was getting LeBron and pushing him with it, like, you know, posting him up pretty good, right? Like not a lot of people can do that to LeBron. And then I do think it's funny how Blake has evolved from like, because you remember 10 years ago, he was like, absolute high flyer guy, you know, dunking over the Kia, you know, from Baron Davis, catching all the alley-oops. Lob City, Lob City doesn't exist without Blake Griffin because him and DJ were just so dominant, you know, inside. And then obviously Chris Paul. And then the way his career blossomed after that, I thought in 2014-15 when 
they took this when they beat the Spurs in the first round and then they had the collapse because they were only playing six guys. I thought Blake was probably one of the five best players in the league that year. And it's just crazy that he the the arc of his career fell down so fast. But then in so I was saying he made all NBA three years ago. He actually was second team all NBA two years ago. <laughs> like it was pretty recent. If he can stay healthy, there's no reason why he can't help a contender in 2023. 22-23. God, I'm not going to be able to say that until the actual that actual season is here. But I just think it's funny how far Blake has fallen, and I hope that he can get back up because, again, Blake Griffin is one of the most fun players in the league. Dude, that series against the, the Spurs, I'm looking the numbers up right now, but that series against – it was a seven-game series, I remember. And – I think Chris Paul hit like a floater over Duncan to win that. That's how that yep. ended, right? Yeah. Dude, that that was a great series. And that was the time that was where I really and I was already a Blake fan. I mean, as a young kid, how can you not be with like the dunks and all that? But that was the series where I'm like, this dude is good. And I think when he re-signed with the Clippers, like think I'm just thinking back on all my Blake Griffin uh adoration over the years, but I think I I think I may have picked him to win MVP that year, and then he gets traded to De- to Detroit. It's like, oh, it was just. What year was that series against? <laughs> so I have I have it pulled up. If you want me to okay. read the, the stats just from that yeah. series, so he averaged twenty four points a game, not bad. He averaged thirteen rebounds a game, not bad. Seven point four assists, one point four steals, and one point four blocks. He was just out of his mind in that series. He shot 46, he shot 47% from the field against that Spurs team. Like, unless we forget that Spurs team was a damn good defensive team. They just shut down the Heatles the year before. Like it's, it's so depressing because that Blake was on top of the world. And now, now he's not, but that's like, that series led you to believe that he could like, he was MVP caliber. And now just we're not going to be able to see it, but I don't know. I I love Blake Griffin, and I'm sad. We're going to be talking about a lot of guys that <laughs> make us sad in this podcast, I would say. <laughs> He's not going to be the only one from that era that's going to make me in particular sad. But any other thoughts on Blake Griffin before we rapid fire through the rest of the Pistons roster? Well, okay, so I have two of two years in a row they have playoff game like the total playoff averages mm-hmm. so 2013-14 he played 13 games he averaged 23.5 points 7.4 rebounds 3.8 assists 1.1 blocks 1.12 steal or 1.2 steals the next year 25.5 points 10 rebound or 12.7 rebounds 6 assists 1 block 1 steal i mean that is that's superstar level play two years in a row. And that's 27 total playoff games. Like, I mean, again, <laughs> there's going to, there's got to be a 30 for 30 on that Clippers team. <laughs> I mean, they seriously, for so long, they should have at least made the finals. And they just kept running into the wrong teams. And of course, they shot themselves in the foot most of the time, but man. The talent was there, and they just couldn't put it together. So 13-14, I think, if I remember correctly, that was the year that they lost the to OKC in the second round because they never made the conference finals even. 
Yeah. That's that's damning. That's yeah, that's the worst part. And then 1415. Now, obviously, you have to apply the context for this because context is always important. And people, you know, are like, LOL, Lab City Clippers failed. Um, but they were like a six-man rotation because Chris Paul injured his hamstring in the game where he hit the shot over Duncan. And so they were running like six guys and Blake played 40 minutes a game in that playoffs. <laughs> like, <laughs> you realize that, like people realize how crazy that is over 14 games. But they blew a 3-1 series lead to the... Um, to the Rockets. That was the um, the game where Josh Smith and Corey Brewer all came in and they all just started dominating for that in game six. So people always are just like, LOL, Clippers. And it's funny because that's technically one of James Harden's good playoff moments. But if you, re- if you actually look at it, <laughs> James Harden was on the bench. So it makes it even more damning for the Clippers. But yeah, there's no reason why that team shouldn't have won a finals. The only problem was their wing depth. Like if they had, hell, if Lou Dort was playing small forward in 2015, I would have been like their perfect fit. But they just didn't have any, like they were playing Wesley Johnson, Matt Barnes. And I like Matt Barnes, but Matt, not Matt Barnes in like 2015 or 2014, whenever he was on the team, right? And then Jared, they tried Jared Dudley one year, seeking it, going back to Jared Dudley and that failed miserably. The team just could never figure out the small forward position and it, it screwed them. And... This is how depressing the Pistons are. We're talking about the old Clippers. (laughs) Um, Let's get this train back on the track so we can actually talk about the Pistons. Um, Mason Plumlee, we pointed out, is not a great fit for this Pistons team because he just, like, he's a good center, but I don't know. I've never been a fan of Mason Plumlee, but he's a starter, but a starter on a team like this. Um, DeLon Wright. Uh... I like I was part of the Delon Wright fan club, but not anymore. Um, so okay. We didn't watch get to watch Killian Hayes this week. But how did you feel about the two rookies in Stewart and Bay? And then I didn't really like when I was watching the Pistons, I didn't catch much of Dumbuya. But if you have any thoughts on him too, go ahead. Yeah, I mean Sadiq Bay didn't really do anything that was notable to me. He's not shooting great really from any place on the floor. He's shooting 31% at the rim, which is really tough. <laughs> I mean, that is tough. And, you know, I they wanted to hit threes, and he's shooting 37%. So he's – I guess it's fine. But he hasn't really stood out to me much. Um, Isaiah Stewart, he's a solid backup. He's not shooting great at the rim either. But, again, he's a young rookie center. Like, they, they struggle early on. I think his defensive positioning is decent. Which, that's a great building block. Like, if you're at least in the right place, I think that's that's a lot of it. Because it doesn't even – even if you're not a good shot blocker, which I think he probably will be, um, just being in the way as a big guy is a great start. And as long as you're not fouling too much. So, he's fine. Um, Dumbuya, see, this was one of the things I was – I was upset about with all these forward acquisitions is I was hoping Dumbuya would get more time. Cause I liked what I saw from him last year. I, I thought he was, cause he played, I think probably Blake was hurt last year and he was playing a lot of starting four minutes. I thought he looked good. I think he's, he's really quick. He can handle the ball a bit explosive and like he wears these yellow shoes. So he just looks like Usain Bolt sometimes out there. Like he's got the short shorts on 
the dude is like a he's just galloping across the floor it's very thrilling to watch but um i mean he's only playing 11 12 minutes a game it just sucks like i think he's got a lot of talent and he's still raw i mean he's not even 20 years old yet which is nuts so he's got plenty of time but i've been hoping he uh could get more time but again that's just the nature of the beast so and you know again like you said we haven't watched killian hayes because he's been hurt for a while and he will continue to be hurt for a while, but I'm excited to come back around on him later in the season because I've I've heard good things about him. Yeah, um, KOC was really high on him in his draft boards. I think at one point he was first in his draft boards, um, but again, you know, people are wrong. But we haven't had a chance to judge, and frankly, we shouldn't judge a rookie point guard in his first year anyway. But I think that... So, okay, Stewart is the one that really stands out to me because Sadiq Bey should not have been drafted by the Pistons. <laughs> Sadiq Bey, like, Dylan, we agree. Like, why didn't – now, yes, obviously Tyrese Halliburton is the obvious why the fuck did this guy fall as far as he did, right? Obviously. But I would say Sadiq Bey is second because this guy is 6'7", 215, and he's already shooting 37% in the, from three in the NBA. How many teams could use a guy like that right now that picked ahead of him? The Celtics could have used him. Could you imagine if the Celtics had Sadiq Bey? I know he's shooting terribly at the rim. He wouldn't shoot shots at the rim if he was on the Celtics. Like, the Spurs could use him. Hell, if the Kings, you know, somehow didn't draft Halliburton, which is going to be the by far the biggest deal of the draft, they could have used Sadiq Bey. Like, it was dumbfounding. That like even like in the moment, me knowing nothing about college basketball, it was dumbfounding. Stewart, I think Isaiah Stewart is um in the in the Robert Williams. This guy is listed at six eight, but there's no way he's actually six eight class because he looks way bigger than six eight out there. But you're right, I like his positioning a lot. He does a really good job jabbing at the ball, especially like on pick and rolls and recovering back to the spot. I think he's gonna be fine. He was doing pretty good on Montrez Harrell in the game that we were watching. So I think Stewart will probably be like a eight year guy in the league, right? Something like that. I think he's, he's definitely capable of it. He looks like he has a great motor. Um, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him stick around in the league. And then Dumbuya, I have not watched him enough. I thought, you know, Hey, sweet. The Pistons have so many young guys. They're going to be incentivized to play them, but they've been playing, you know, Derek Rose a lot. They've been playing Ellington a lot. They've been playing, they played Magruder some, Rodney. Um, <laughs> they put, like, I feel like they're playing veterans too much, but then you think about it. Other than those three, what young talent do the Pistons have? Like, not a lot. No. And, you know, as you're talking about Sadiq Bay, I, I clicked and I had to pull up the Villanova roster of NBA players right now to support your he was drafted too low okay here we go your boy right ryan archer diacono the next kirk, tj connell obviously no he's kirk heinrich reincarnated since he's on the bulls okay fair enough mikhail bridges chris middleton the next one jalen brunson dante divincenzo josh hart kyle lowry eric pascal right. zero bad players Zero right. bad players. So how, so how do you look like you don't have to, I feel like you don't even have to know who Sadiq Bey is. You just have to be like, Oh, he was playing on Villanova. Okay. We'll take him. What else do you need? 
So this is this is my defining principle. Like if I was NBA GM, right, and I just was consistently between, like if I was in the Pacers range, right? Obviously, Pacers didn't have a first round pick this year, so they're not getting astray. But if I'm in Pacers range every year, right, from like ten to twenty five, I am either taking a player from Villanova or I'm taking a player from Virginia. Those two got those two schools. You know the player will know how to play defense. They will be smart. Basketball IQ. The, the works, right? Like, look at DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter's already an impact player in his second year. Most wings aren't impact players like that in their second year. I'm telling you, it's a foolproof strategy. Mikhail Bridges, your boy, Mikhail Bridges. It's a foolproof strategy. I just, I don't understand. But, hey, the Pistons, when they're event, when they, because it seems like Troy Weaver has a grasp on what he's doing, right? And obviously, you got to let the time play out. But they're going to trade Rose. They're going to trade Ellington. Um, those guys aren't going to be on the team by the end of the season. I have to imagine. So when 23 comes around, I'm not saying 22, 23, because I fumble it so bad, but by the time 23 rolls around, you're going to be like a solid young roster with all like, you know, especially if you can siphon those guys off for second round picks. And I think that though, you know, I think the Pistons aren't in the best place, but they aren't, they aren't in as bad a place as they were this time last year. You know what I want the Pistons to be is I want them to be the next Thunder because I, we, I just watched the Thunder because we have the Rockets coming up and this Thunder roster is just full of nobodies and they're all good. It's like, that's exactly what the Pistons need to be. I mean, again, someone write a book on Sam Presti for God's sakes, like the, his ability to find players that nobody has ever heard of and, and, they're good is amazing, but that's neither here nor there, but that's what I want the Pistons to be because again, start getting rid of some of these, you know, older guys, maybe, you know, maybe keep Jeremy Grant for a year and I don't know, see what happens, but everyone else start to get rid of them slowly and just start building, building this team with, with good young guys and get some good second round picks, you know, take some risks you got nothing to lose if you're Detroit. I mean, you don't have to compete against uh, the Lions anymore because they just got rid of their one good player. So, you know, there, there's no competition in the city of Detroit to be good. Just take your time. You know, 2023, like you said, I think they'll be in good shape. Like, you're, you're exactly right. And let's actually use that as a as a transition because that's a pretty good ending point right there. So let's go ahead and use that as a transition to move on to our next team, the Houston Rockets, because we're going to save your Indiana Pacers for last because let's face it. Well, that's, that's what you want to talk about truly. And we like to say what you want to talk about for last. Um, so the, the Rockets had a pretty good week, all things considered, I would say. So they came into the week on a three-game winning streak, and they beat the Portland Trailblazers 104 to 101, beat the Pelicans 126 to 112, destroyed the Thunder 136 to 106, and then lost to the Thunder in the second game of that home and home when um 104 to 87 when John Wall sat. So I feel like there's a lot of different things we could talk about with this Rockets team. They're fascinating to me. I'll say I could go in 75 different directions. Um, I think, so I'll start just real basic. I think Steven Silas is doing a hell of a job, all things considered. This is one of the worst seasons to coach the Houston Rockets in recent memory. Probably since, I don't know, when they the year they had to draft Yao Ming because they picked first. They've been a well-run franchise since Daryl got there, and obviously Daryl's gone, but... 
you know, they had all this whole shit with Harden. It was a mess. Um, but now they're on the other side. Obviously, they got Victor Oladipo and Dante Exum, who didn't really play much this week. But <laughs> where do you want to start on the Pistons, Dylan? Because there's a lot of different ways we can start. I feel like I know where you're going to go, but where, where do you want to go? Well, yeah, there's a lot of places to go. What I find interesting about them is just the backcourt. So I've liked John Wall all season. And again, I don't think the I don't think the Wizards should have traded him. I mean, you waited two years for this guy to come back and you trade him right when he's able to play for Russell Westbrook. And they got rid of a first two. And Lord help me, I hope it was protected in some way. But I mean he has looked really good and like he hasn't he hasn't looked like he's been out for two years at all while also looking like he's been out for two years because he's just so healthy I mean he looks like he's been just hanging out you know I mean he's he hasn't lost a step and he's 30 which is crazy to think about because I remember not too long ago he was like the the wonderkind at Kentucky he was the guy everyone was talking about um but I mean, he has looked really good. His three-point shot has actually gone down, which has helped them a lot. Uh, but that dude is so fucking quick. I mean, it's unbelievable how quick he is. And then you pair him with Oladipo. And Oladipo is a little bit more reckless. I like Wall because Wall is very intentional in his movement. He knows the next step every time. And he always gets around guys. And I think that's why he's always been such a good finisher at the rim. But Oladipo is, I think he's good at getting halfway there. The second half of the movement, he sometimes kind of gets a little bit crazy. And sometimes that makes for a really fun shot. But a lot of times it ends up in a turnover or a bad miss. But Either way, having having two guys like that in transition obviously makes for a lot of fun um, actions. And having Christian Wood, <laughs> I mean, dude, Christian Wood, as I told you earlier, Christian Wood is the third best center in the West. And again, this is with Towns out, but he's been better than Gobert. I can't even see an argument for that. And I don't think Gobert has been bad. I don't think he's been – as good as he should be considering he just got paid 200 million, but Christian Wood is so dynamic on offense. I mean, he, he literally can do everything on offense pretty much. He can handle the ball. And I don't just mean, I don't mean that lightly. Like he can literally attack a guard off the closeouts and just run to the rim and dunk it. I mean, he is incredibly skilled at the ball. He can post up, he can shoot catch and shoot threes he can run in transition with or without the ball. I mean, there was a play in that OKC game where they blew him out, where they scored 48 points in the first quarter, which is just ludicrous. And he was a big part of that. He hit like three mm. – I think he hit three threes and had some dunks. But John Wall hit him in transition with like three guys right in front of him. And typically that's something you never do to a big. You never let a big dribble in transition if you're a guard. If you're a guard, you get you let the big get close enough to the rim where you pass him the ball, he just goes up. He gave Christian Wood the ball at about the three-point line. Christian Wood just dribbled, dribbled it right through these guys and dunked it. I was like, man, like this guy is, is so freaking good. And 
it pissed me off when they traded for all depot and the bleacher reports of the world were like, Oh, we got a big three, John wall, Victor Aldipo and DeMarcus cousins. It's like, are you kidding me? DeMarcus cousins is off the bench and basically sucks at this point. Christian Wood is going to be an all-star. Like there's no way he's not. I just don't, I, you can make an argument. He's been the best player on that team this year. I oh, mean, he I- has been, he has been so freaking good. And I'm happy he got paid, but he still he still has some respect coming his way because I don't feel like it's there. His next contract is he's going to get maxed out if he keep, if he plays like this all three seasons of his contract, he's going to get a max. Like this player, I don't know how I feel about his defense. Right, he's playing around you know like Tucker and um who's their st- like, Tate. We we're gonna have to talk about Tate at some point. We can talk about like all nine players in the rotation for a significant amount of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love I I love the Rockets, but I don't know how I feel about them. It's kind of weird. Um, so I want to talk about Wall. The fact that he's come back from like two major injuries looking like this, it's incredible, and it gives me a lot of hope for Clay Thompson coming yeah. back because this he basically suffered the same injuries that Clay suffered. And I'm not saying Wall's 100 percent the same, but he looks 95 percent the same. He's got that burst. I mean, Wall was such a high IQ player that he was always going to be probably closer to fine but it, he keeps making threes at a 37 percent rate if he was in the eastern conference he's an easy all-star like easy like you know i love lowry but this is like you know better than kyle lowry i'd rather have this version of john wall than kyle lowry you know as, as much as i love kyle lowry um he's playing out of his goddamn mind i don't know what got it like what's gotten into him but this is the thing that stuck out to me about houston right they don't move off the ball but it doesn't matter because John Wall can kind of do like his half Harden impersonation and kind of still get assist by just probing into the lane. And they don't have to move because John Wall's such a great passer. <laughs> People forgot how good of a passer he was because he was out for two years. He is such like an amazing quarterback for this offense. He's only averaging something like six assists a game, but he cares more about hockey assists and getting open shots than he does about actually getting assists. Some unlike some uh, young guards in the league, I'm not. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> Luca. Um, there's it's a lot of other guys, not just Luca. But you know, a lot of guys care more about just getting assists than they do about hockey assists, right? Especially like I can't blame Luca. He's 21 years old. I'm just using him as an example. But John Wall knows that a certain pass to a certain player will get if that player swings the ball that'll be a wide open shot. I think that's rubbing off on the rest of the team. I don't think there were any, very many hockey assists under Harden like that. Like this team, someone's always wide open from three. They might have the best wing rotation in the league still. That's not like an elite wing player, as crazy as it is to say. Um, so this team needs a better back. It, they could go a lot of different directions. If they want to contend and like try to make the playoffs, they need to get a better backup guard their guard depth is really weak. <laughs> their forward depth is exceptional, but they're really, they're really lacking a backup point guard and they're really lacking a backup center. And we'll talk about boogie later. Cause that again, that's depressing, but yeah, you brought up Christian wood. Holy shit. <laughs> Did you know he was like this good? Like I knew like people were always like, Oh, Christian wood, Oh, Christian wood, Oh, Christian wood. I didn't know he was this, this good. I don't think really you could have like a lot of people could have seen this coming. It's funny. We're talking about probably the two, two leading candidates for most improved this year. Cause most of the time, you know, most improved is like, Oh, 
he gets more shots, gets more playing time, whatever. Now these two <laughs> weren't this good before this. And I think that that's actually the criteria for most improved, but Christian Wood can just do everything on offense. And that's so valuable. Even if his defense is a little iffy, he's going to be, he's going to be a max player who like who in the league has his skill set at center. Like, so he bodied Al Horford, right? Like there was one play where he just straight up bodied Al Horford. He got him on the block and just pushed him aside. <laughs> We're talking about Al Horford here. One of the strongest centers in the league. He just is like, nah, I'm going to get this. I'm going to dunk around you. I sent you that play. You know which one I'm talking about. He just totally just is like, nah, fuck this. I'm getting what I want. And he just dunked on him. Not dunked on him, but he just moved past him in the post. And he's got dribble moves. I think he is benefiting a little bit from playing with John Wall, obviously. But I do think he would be having a similar level of success even if he wasn't playing with John Wall, which is saying something. Yeah, but at the same time, what center around the league except for Jokic is able to anchor an offense on their own? Like, they all have good, a great ball handler with them. Right. I'm saying even if Wall wasn't there and you replaced Wall with, like, just to throw out a name, Ish Smith, right? <laughs> I don't think Christian Wood's production would be, would be very far off. I think he could still do this. He's plenty capable, honestly. I mean, the thing about him is you can get him the ball anywhere. I think that's what makes him so valuable. Like, there's a lot of bigs where, oh, they need to be in the post. Like, Rudy Gobert. Like, you got to get him the ball by the rim. Andre Drummond, you got to get him the ball by the rim. Like, those type of guys, they need the ball by the rim. Christian Wood, literally anywhere on the floor. He can dribble in transition. You could give him the ball in the three-point line. He's either going to shoot it or attack a closeout. Uh, you can give it to him in the mid post. You can give it to him at the rim. It doesn't matter where he has, is on the floor. And as a ball handler, that's got to be so nice where you can give your center the ball and he doesn't need you to come back for it. Like he can make a play on his own and it could be just another dribble handoff to someone else, or it could be him going to the rim or making his own shot. I mean, again, I don't think people are talking about him enough because for God's sakes, I mean, he's shooting 61% on twos and 40% on threes there. That is very rare air. You know what he's shooting at the rim? (laughs) I do not. 82%. He's faced 20 shots at the rim all season. Yeah, I mean, that is just ludicrous. 82%. And that those are numbers that lob threats get. Like, And he is a lob threat, but I think that's what makes him so unique is that he's not just a lob threat. It's like, if you look at some a lot of these centers around the league that can handle the ball a little bit, like Jokic is not really a lob threat. Cat, not really a lob threat. Sabonis, not a lob threat. Christian Wood is a lob threat and can handle the ball. I mean, I would say his skill set's probably more comparable to Anthony Davis than anyone else. That's what I I was thinking it, but I didn't want to say it. (laughs) I mean, and that's not to say he is Anthony Davis, but he's, he's got the skill set. And again, defensively, it's really not close, but offensively, I mean, he could do a lot of this, a lot of similar things. It's crazy. Like how, how good he is because people were saying, oh, Christian Wood is good in Detroit. Oh, Christian Wood was good in Detroit last year. And really, what a colossal fuck up by them for not for not giving him the bag, right? I mean, I don't know what you would have done, right? Because obviously you, you were dead set on paying Jeremy Grant. 
But man, I don't like. I feel like the franchise would be in a lot better shape for the Pistons if they just kept, if they gave Christian Wood that Jeremy Grant contract. I love what Jeremy Grant's doing, but he's not. Christian Wood has a skill set, right? And he's still like he's only twenty five. He has a skill set. It's just so malleable to so many different kinds of styles of play. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's breaking out this year. He's doing third best big man in the West. I do think Gobert's defense, it's tough because I love Gobert's defense and last week really won me over with his defense. And yes, I know Jokic went off for 47 against them, but for some reason they put bogey on Jokic for some of those points, which is one of the dumbest things. (laughs) Like just real quick. Why the fuck would you ever put Boyan Bogdanovich on Nikola Jokic? Yes, I know Bogey did a good job on LeBron James three years ago. It's different. <laughs> it's different. Like well, first of all, the Bogey on LeBron narrative was way played out. Like he that, did a good he did a good job for the circumstances, but he obviously yes. But most people drop the circumstances. They just say he did a good job. And that is not true at all. I mean, again, and I love Bogey. I mean, I was upset that he played well enough to get that much money in free agency because I wanted him to stay with the Pacers. But and he was a better defensive player here than he was in the two prior spots. But, I mean, that was – it was way overplayed. And, obviously, it does not translate to being able to guard Jokic either. No, of course not. Again, for the circumstances, Bogey did a good job. He obviously was allowing LeBron to score 40 points a game. He did not actually do a good job. But given like given the circumstances, he did better than, you know, any other Eastern Conference forward did that season. I mean, LeBron just ate OG for lunch. <laughs> but he get- eats everyone. Remember yes. remember when the Raptors got PJ Tucker as the LeBron stopper? I mean, it doesn't matter who you put on him. It doesn't matter. There's no there's no such thing as a LeBron stopper. No. There's absolutely no, no such thing. You just can only hope to contain him, and nobody, nobody's no, been able to contain him. Nobody can do that. Um, actually, you brought up PJ Tucker, so actually, oh, I don't feel like we need oh. to talk about PJ Tucker. I feel like you know my thoughts are very clear. There, <laughs> you you should trade him, just like logistically speaking, right? He doesn't want to come back to the Rockets because they didn't offer him an extension. I don't blame him for not wanting to come back to the Rockets. So just try to trade him while you can. Try to get something for him. He's, he's P.J. Tucker. What is there to say that we didn't say 75,000 times during the last season, right? Um, but I do want to talk about the fo- other forwards on the team, though, because I feel like the, the Rockets forward rotation, like I was saying, they have a pretty damn deep forward rotation. I like Tate. I like House. I like Gordon. I like – they haven't played Macklemore as much this year, but I like Macklemore. I like – who? What? they have a bunch of wings on their roster that I like, Dylan Hughes. Sterling Brown's been decent. Yeah. That's what that's the other guy I was thinking of that I couldn't I have the roster pulled up in front of me. I don't know why I said why I didn't say Sterling Brown, but I just love all the way the way the wings have been playing this season. They've been playing out of their minds. Yeah, and the guy that stood out to me and, and this the first game I watched of the Rockets back when they saw it Harden, the guy that stood out to me was Jay Sean Tate. And this is a guy that's starting for them now. But I was watching them earlier, and I think what I came away with, I think he's one of those jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none guys. He He's, like, good at everything but not great at anything. Like, he, he is the perfect 
Swiss Army knife for really any team. I can't see. I can't think of a team in the league that he wouldn't fit on. I mean, he's not a great three point shooter. He's he's close to being good. He can hit some, and he's not a good foul shooter either. So that's like the one area where it looks like he needs improvement. But he's shooting sixty eight percent at the rim. I mean, he's a very good off ball player. And defensively, it seems like his hands are just always poking balls. Like he's always, there's always balls squirting out of guys' hands. And it's like almost always Tate that's in there just causing havoc. And I just really like watching him play. Like he's just a fun guy to watch because he's, he's like a, I don't want to say he's a scrapper because when I think scrapper, I think TJ McConnell and he's not TJ McConnell, but he's just, he's always involved. He's like he's as as they would call in football. He's like a ball hawk. Like he's just always kind of there. He's always around the ball making plays. So I mean, he he does a lot offensively, but I think defensively is where I have the most fun with him because, again, he doesn't really have much offensive responsibility. So he's he's able to just do what he wants on defense, and he's fun to watch, man. And they they I think they really hit it big with him because, I mean, he was undrafted back in 2018. He goes overseas for a couple of years and just randomly gets picked up. I, I mean, I had heard of him because he played at Ohio State, but I didn't know what happened to him. All of a sudden, he was on the Rockets, and now he's starting, and, and he's, he's playing really well. There is strong temptation right now for me to put Jay Sean Tate on the Mikhail Bridges All-Stars. I have been told by certain people, and you probably know who that certain people is, um, that I have too many people on the Mikhail Bridges All-Stars, but... No such thing as too many people. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to have a 40-man team. But I lo- like, nose for the ball is a cliche. But goddamn, if this dude isn't always by where the ball is. Like, I swear, every time, like, the starters are in, Jay Sean Tate is always either at the rim getting an offensive rebound. Like you said, poking the ball away, diving on the floor for a loose ball. This dude is frenetic. Frenetic is the best word to describe him. He is like just all over the place. And yes, the shooting needs to improve. But goddamn, if he can do everything else so well, like does he like need to shoot if he's playing 24 minutes a game? <laughs> like you're you're starting Christian Wood who's shooting 40% from three at center. I don't know. Like, I don't know how real the three-point percentages on this team are, right? Like Oladipo shooting 31%, Tucker sh- shooting 39, Wallace shooting 37, Gordon shooting 35. Some guys that are shooting like House is shooting 30. Tate is shooting 31. Nawaba, a guy that I didn't mention who's also playing his ass off. Um, 28. Sterling Brown, 46. Right? Like, it's all over... 44, sorry. It's all over the place. So, like, maybe he is a good shooter. I don't know. The free throw attempts, he's only taking... Like, he's taking less than two a game. I don't know how much I read into that, but... I don't know. I, I love the way that Tate plays. He is such, like, a dynamic off-ball player. And that's exactly what this team needs. And even if, like, because if you listen to our um, running hook trade pod, you know, that I put out with Caleb Lynn on Wednesday, I propose blowing out the Rockets. But even if you do blow out the Rockets, Tate is a hell of a piece to just keep around, even if he is 25, because he is just going to hustle his ass off. And he is just exactly the kind of player that this team needs. It's no like, it's not a coincidence that he's starting. There's no reason this guy wouldn't be starting because he's that like dynamic. And I just, I love the energy that he's bringing Um, real quick. (laughs) Let's transition to Eric Gordon, because I love the way that Gordon's been playing too. It's like, it doesn't seem like he's a new guy because this is kind of how he always plays, but (laughs) 
he just is playing with good energy. And I feel like some team, a smart team is going to snatch him at the trade deadline. How do you feel about the way, what you've seen from Eric Gordon so far? Yeah, I've liked him. It's kind of funny because he's basically their backup point guard now, which I was taken aback by because I was, I was looking at one of their lineups on the floor. Gordon had the ball. I'm looking around for another guard. I'm like, where, who is this other guard? There's no way that Eric Gordon's leading this team. But I mean, not to say he can't, he's just, I mean, he's a combo guard by like, I feel like he's, if you look in the definition of combo guard, he's among the smallest that would be mentioned him and George Hill. Those are the two guys I always think of, but I just love Eric Gordon because I think him, Dame and Steph are like the all-stars of shooting 35 foot or 25 foot or whatever, three point shots. Like they're always two or three yards behind the line with no, no regard. Like who cares? They just, they throw it up. And I just, I enjoy players like that because especially if you actually make them because I mean, how do you guard that? No one's going to guard that deep of a three. So I appreciate Eric Gordon for continually jacking those up, but I'm mostly happy that he's playing well. I mean, he's shooting 72% at the rim and I mean, I think he's always been pretty good at the rim, but that's a pretty damn good number. I mean, that's like center number right there. You have to be a very crafty finisher to be able to shoot that well at the rim. Um, But, you know, this is nice because he was not good last year. Like, he was very bad. And, I mean, he's had moments in his career where he's been iffy. There were certain there were some years in New Orleans where it's like, is he really that good, you know? But this is this happens to be one of those years where he's really firing on all cylinders. So I I hope that a team does pick him up if it comes to that. And also I just want to point this out. This is the the Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni influence is not gone. Eric Gordon has only shot three long mid-range shots this season. So Props to him for that. I, I guarantee all Depot's already done more than that. Yeah, 24. And he's only played eight games with them. So the uh, he's still holding true to the Rockets of old, and I appreciate that. Yeah, that's one of my issues when watching this team, actually, is like I like that Wall shooting 37% from three, but I feel like when I'm watching him, and especially when I'm watching Vic, they pull up way too much. When John Wall succeeds, it's because he's catching and shooting. And Vic has not been catching and shooting. He's been catching it, like staring at the defender, doing triple threat. He needs to stop doing that because (laughs) like, even if he goes like, let's just say he goes to his preferred destination of Miami, which, which let's face it. We've been hearing for years that he only wants to go to Miami. If he goes to Miami, he's not going to be like a first option kind of guy. He's going to be like a third, fourth option in Miami, especially with, if Tyler hero keeps developing, I know he's had a, up and down season, but you know, I'm discounting Miami and Dallas's season so far because they've got they got the most fucked by COVID because they didn't actually have to miss games or not. You get what I'm saying. They actually had to play in spite of the COVID missing people missing. So I'm kind of discounting them, but Vic is just gonna have to learn to play off ball. And if he doesn't, he's fucked. This is plain and simple because he's gonna he thinks he's a lot better than he is. <laughs> this is Victor Oladipo's problem to me. And I just wish he would stop taking those damn pull-ups. There's no reason he should be taking eight threes a game. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. Five? Sure. 
Eight? No. Yeah, I, again, I appreciate what Vic did for Indiana in that time, but man, he's just, that one season just got his head a little bit too big. And it's just funny to continue, like, to, to hear this. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say that teams haven't given up on him like that. When he said that teams keep giving up on him, technically it's true, but I'm getting – well, first of all, I'm getting sick of I, – I can't say I'm getting sick of it because it – okay. Let me, let me organize this statement real quick. So – Athletes love having a chip on their shoulder and they almost always give it to themselves. They take anything that happens to them in their life and they turn it into, they are, I don't want to say a victim, but they, they were attacked in some way. They have to prove that person wrong. And this is what Vic is doing with, with the stuff he always says, Paul George did it too. And again, I think it's what, it's part of what makes them good athletes. It gives them that edge, but it is so frustrating as a normal person to hear this stuff and just see these guys that you want to root for. They just continually are putting this bullets and board material up all the time for them to motivate, to be motivated. It's like, why do you need outside influence to motivate you so much? It's just frustrating to me. And it ha- it's, it's not just basketball. It's it's all sports. And again, it's part of what makes them good, but it's just annoying. Um, I mean, we watched The Last Dance, Dylan. Or I don't, I don't know how much you watched it, but the Bradford Smith story from Michael Jordan. If you haven't heard that story, just look up Lil Bradford Smith MJ. And you'll realize what a different level that these guys are on. <laughs> They're fucking crazy people. Yeah, I mean, they're lunatics. And and I don't even want to go into the burner stuff. I mean, Alfred Payton, for God's sakes, you suck. You are way worse than Emmanuel Quickly. Stop going on Twitter and arguing that you deserve to start. I mean, these people are fucking maniacs. How do we, how do we agree to pay them millions of dollars a year? They're all fucking lunatics. Listen, you know, anytime you can... <laughs> I don't know. You have to be built differently, right? Like, obviously, yeah. you can't relate to it because you're not a fucking crazy person. They're right. wired differently. They're like, you know, competitive sport. Like, I feel like this is especially true in football. Like, you have to be wired incredibly differently to be successful on a football field. And I just, I can't imagine putting yourself in that mindset every Sunday where you have to, like, you know, want to hurt somebody. And then you have to not want to hurt somebody the rest of the week, right? Like, it's just a different a different mentality. I was, you know, not to, we're going off topic here, but um, I was, I heard about a tweet thread that Martellus Bennett had. And it's like, actually, I'm going to scrap this because I don't remember where I was going, but you just got to be built differently, right? Like you, you don't behave the same way on a football field that you do on a regular life. And I, I just think that you got to be crazy to succeed in sports. I, th- I think that's the crux of it. Okay. I understand that. But answer me this. What is Alfred Payton getting out of this? <laughs> what What does Alfred Payton get out of going on Twitter and defending himself? Um, Out of the league. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> He's doing that on the court just fine. Listen, you have to be delusional, right? Like, do you think that there's like just to throw out another example on the Knicks because we know this guy thinks very highly of himself. Do you think that Austin Rivers thinks that he's not the best player in the league? Do you think Austin Rivers realizes he's like you know one of the like 200 best players in the league? Austin Rivers has to have a very high opinion of himself to keep going. I guess this is the thing, Dylan. The shorter you are, the crazier you generally are. You have to be. Like, think about how crazy like. Isaiah Thomas knew Isaiah Thomas is like just general, like think about how much of a chip he has on his shoulder and he has to, he's five fucking nine playing against giants getting beat up all the time. And I hope, I hope he gets to come back and, you know, try again. Poor guy <laughs> got fucked over by the Celtics. But I think that you just have to be a fucking crazy person to, to succeed at this level. And you, there's just no other way you could succeed. Really? Yeah, again, I I wanted to make it clear that I understand that, but it is frustrating. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm at the point with with like the comments Vic made where I just accept it because I I mean up to Indiana, I think he was treated pretty unfairly. I don't think the Pacers treated him unfairly, and that's not me being biased. I really don't. He, I think a lot of outsiders would agree. He just he was he was stuck in 2017. And I mean, he just, he's a good player, but he just, he can't, I think he, his mind is ahead of his body right now. I don't know if his body's completely back, but he just seems a little bit more reckless than he was. So I don't know. I, I hope it works out for him. Cause I really do like the guy and whether it's in Houston, Miami or somewhere else, I hope it works out for him, but he's just got to rein it in a little bit. I think we can all agree. We hope he doesn't go to Sacramento. I think we, we can all at least settle on that middle ground. That that is a very fair statement. <laughs> um, let's do rapid fire because I feel like we're already running a little long and we still haven't gotten our third team. Um, Demarcus Cousins, poor guy. Um, what do you have to say about Demarcus Cousins? Because I'm not going to add anything because I feel like I've already said a lot about him. I mean, he can't move. We knew this coming in. He hasn't been able to move for two or three years. Like. Again, that when he was with the Warriors and he was just at the rim and could barely get off the ground to dunk, it's like, yeah, he's done. And it's sad because as soon as he escapes Sacramento, he gets half a season under his belt and it's just over. I mean, his knees are just shredded now. And at his size and his age, I would be surprised if he's in the league more than like two or three more years. I mean, he's just he just doesn't have it anymore. Pour one out for the one of the most exciting players of the 2010s. Um, Cause I agree with everything you say. If he's still in the league three years from now, I'll be shocked. Cause the poor guy just can't jump. Like he's a great passer still. Yeah. But man, he can't do anything else well enough to compensate for how poorly, like he's a really great, like hot, like John wall kicks it to cousins who kicks it to house. Right. Like he's great at that, but he shoots too many threes. He can't make any shots at the rim. Poor guy, you know, He's shooting like 60% of his shots from three. That's way <laughs> like imagine you watching Boogie Cousins in 2017, right? This man's on top of the basketball world. And you tell him four four short years later, he's gonna be shooting mostly threes. Like it's disgusting. Like I get it. Injuries. 
I just wanted to retire so that we have the positive memories of Boogie. That's just me. Um, I feel like we touched on just about everybody else. Do you anything else to say on the Rockets before? Okay. Just last big picture question. You could be short on this one. If you are, if you're an executive for the Rockets, do you want to blow it up or do you want to try to make the playoffs? It's tough. Cause like, I like a lot of these players. I mean, pretty much everyone we've talked about tonight. I like, you know, it's just, I don't know if I like them all together. I don't think you need to completely blow it up. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I think you probably keep Wall, Wood, Tate. Everyone else is up for grabs, I'd say. Daniel House wouldn't be bad to keep because he's cheap, but I don't know. I mean, if someone's willing to pay for Eric Gordon or Depot, you probably make that move, but I think they have a good idea of, of where they probably want to go. I mean, Wood and Wall is a really nice starting spot. If you could get someone outside of All Depot, unless All Depot kind of turns it up, if you could get another guy like that, like a wing that can handle, create decent defender, I mean, that's a pretty solid team. So I say, you know, sniff the trademark a little bit. It wouldn't be the worst thing to make the playoffs this year, but I don't think they should completely blow it up. Yeah. And, you know, maybe get some time for Kenny Martin's kid who's on this team. <laughs> Do you realize Kenny Martin Jr. was on this team? Uh, he's at the very bottom of the list. So I did not notice that until now, but that, that would be, uh, that would be ideal. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Kenyon Martin Jr. Kenyon and Martin Bru- didn't retire that long ago. Bruno Caboclo, who at this point, I mean, he was two years away from being two years away. He's gotta be there. Right. <laughs> I don't think, I think he's still two years away from being two years away. Okay. That, that was, that was the greatest line of free draft analysis ever. I have to say. But anything else, I I think that's it for the Rockets. So let's go ahead and move on to your Indiana Pacers. Now, your Pacers um, did not have the best week, Dylan Hughes. They are 12 and 10. They are the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, but they lost to the Charlotte Hornets, 105 to 108. They lost to the Philadelphia 76ers, 110 to 119. They absolutely destroyed the Grizzlies. Uh, Not absolutely destroyed, but the game was... um, the final score was closer than the actual game was 134 to 116. And then they got blued out by the Milwaukee Bucks on national television last night, 130 to 110. So Dylan Hughes, bad week for the Pacers, but overall good season. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to manage my expectations because you can tell by watching them. They're one guy short. It's, Having Lavert and Warren out is really starting to compound, I think, because when they play these good teams, it's just tough. Brogdon, Brogdon has been really good this year. There's moments I watch him where I'm like, this guy's getting a statue. <laughs> I mean, he he is awesome, and I think he's way better than he was last year. Um, He's gotten a lot better at the pull-up threes. I mean, last year he was miserable on those pull-up threes because he wasn't used to it. He was always catching shooting off of Giannis. So when he finally had the opportunity to handle more, he was pulling up a lot from three and not making them. This year he's he's starting to knock those down, which is a good sign because that's huge for a ball handler. Um, But, you know, I think he's he's just better with another guy. Like – that's why I was excited about him and Vic being together because those are two – having two guys like that 
takes the load off of each other. Like they can just move the ball around and you don't have to have one guy carrying the load. This team right now, it's, I mean, obviously Sabonis is there taking a lot of the, the dribbling, but it's really just Brogdon. I mean, Justin Holiday is obviously like an off ball guy. He's not going to do much for you on the ball. Jeremy Lamb does handle the ball, but I just, I mean, he's played really well. Like the, the efficiency has been off the charts for him, but I have my problems with Jeremy Lamb, which we'll get into, but it, they're just one guy short. Like, I feel like when they get one of Warren and, and Levert back, it's going to start looking really good. But right now it's, it's just against these top teams like Milwaukee. They just, they don't quite have the firepower right now. Yeah. And again, it kind of feels like a redux of last year. Now I want to see Levert inserted into the fold, but I just feel like a lot of the problems they had last year are a lot of the same problems they have this year. Now they are shooting a lot more threes than they did last year. It felt like for years, the Pacers languished at 29th or 30th and threes attempted this year. It's still not like a whole lot, but they're up to 20th, which for the Pacers is a massive improvement <laughs> just in general. Cause their whole ethos, especially in the McMillan era was we're going to just shoot. No, we're going to shoot. Like all our guys are going to shoot four threes a game, you know, and they're going to make like 44% of their threes. Like we're going to shoot, like we're going to shoot 33s and make 13 of them. That was like the ethos around the team for a while. They, the Pacers, I'm pretty sure have broken their record for most threes attempted in a game a couple times this season already, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and obviously, like you said, a lot of that is Brogdon feeling a lot more comfortable from three. And, but then you look at the other guys, right? Like, McDermott's taking about the same amount of threes. Holiday's taking about the same amount of threes from last year. I think those guys should be shooting maybe a little more, but I also like the way that Bjorken's been using McDermott. I feel like this is the best any coach has used McDermott, which is saying something because I thought the way McMillan used McDermott last year was the best any coach had used McDermott. Am I scarred by uh, the way Tibbs used Doug McDermott? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, Doug's looked great. Um, Jeremy Lamb, I know you have issues with him, but he's looked really smooth coming off of the injury. Like really great, like su- surprisingly great efficiently coming off of the injury. Like I did not expect him to look this good. He's been really smooth. Um, I feel like his three point efficiency is the efficiency is way up for sure, but I feel like he's shooting way more threes than he did last year. Um, miles is shooting about the same from three, but I mean, teams all, I feel like teams always guarded miles the hardest cause they always knew he was the most likely to gun. So I feel like Miles is probably like actually like in actuality, he's a better shooter than his percentage. I don't think his percentage defines him as a shooter. Like I've always thought that about Miles. Like I always thought it was going in when he shoots it, even though stats bear otherwise. But yeah, I think this team (laughs) and also Sabonis shooting 37% from three. I did not realize he was shooting that well because it feels like he operates inside. But then you look at the team. So this is the, the issues I defined last season. It felt like they gave up a lot of threes. And they're, they're second worst in three-point percentage allowed and 39% from three. Um, I don't know. Like, they give up a lot of rebounds. It just feels like, I don't know. It feels like they're missing, like, a big wing. And obviously, a lot of teams are missing a big wing. If they had a first-round pick this year, it wouldn't have been a terrible idea to take Sadiq Bay. But again, I want to see them integrate Levert and... <laughs> I want to just dedicate a whole section. Actually, I forgot. We have a statement from a resident Miles Turner hater. So I'll have you transition to Miles Turner. So as you, if you listen to this podcast network, you know, 
that a certain host on a certain podcast hates Miles Turner. But from the desk of Zachary K. Griffith, host of Circle City Cinema, moderator of the Battleground, part of the Running Hook Podcast Network, to whom it may concern, in regards to Miles Turner's performance this season, I have been more than pleasantly surprised. This is by far the best basketball I've ever seen him play. Contrary to popular belief, I do not want to see Miles fail. As a lifelong Pacers fan, it would be foolish of me to wish that. However, I owe Miles a sincere apology. I have demanded better play, and he has answered the call. While I I suspect that this level of play may not be sustained, I hope it is. Here's the Miles Turner who has made me eat my words to this point in the season. Zach Griffith. Um, We, we, you knew this was coming, but still, I don't think you knew that was coming. (laughs) Um... Let's talk about Miles. What have you seen from Miles this year that is different from the last couple seasons? You know, what's interesting to me about Miles is I started to realize like two years ago that he always takes time to warm up. Like he is never good right off right off the bat. Like, let me give an example, okay? And I'm sure you'll see this sometime throughout our friendship. I always need one bowling game to become a good bowler, okay? I am not rolling. I'm not bowling strikes in the first game. I'm not bowling very often. So I need a nice 10 frames to really get a feel for the lane. Okay. And that's exactly how miles is. He, he takes a month or two to kind of feel things out. He hasn't played basketball in a couple of months. He needs some time this season though. He has really hit the ground running. And I don't know if it's the preparation of Bjorkren or the fact that maybe he's more comfortable with the players around him, but I mean, he, he has looked awesome and here, here, and we've talked about this before for me, the, and, and this was my hatred on Marvin Bagley was that I haven't seen him improve. And for me to really believe in a player, I need to see one new thing every year. You either have to get way better at the stuff you're already good at, or you have to add something new. And again, going back to Jeremy Grant, like that's something he's done really well. He's, he's constantly added to his game. Miles Turner, he's slowly become a better passer, which has really helped. I, I think the Pacers ball movement is awesome. And that's been a large part of why they're getting great shots. But the thing that's really improved for Miles, and he started to show a little bit last year, but this year has been really good, is his ball handling. I mean, his he there's times and he he I think he did this last night against the Bucks, like he cleared out the team. He wanted to take his defender off the dribble, and he did. And I think he got fouled from the three point line. Like he he attacked from the three point line. Him ball handling the entire time, and that is something that he never did. He was always like a finisher. He was the guy you give the ball, he's putting the shot up or making a pass, and. This season, he's been dribbling a lot. He's been – I mean, he's been taking on some ball handling duties, and obviously he's not running pick and rolls and stuff like that, but he doesn't need to do that. I mean, he just – if he can dribble a little bit, get into a better spot without having to get a pass, and, I mean, he's been attacking closeouts. He's been attacking open lanes. He's been going to the rim a lot just off of his own creation, and I think that is huge. And there's been a lot of missed shots at the rim because I just don't think he's comfortable yet. But I think the past week or two, he started to make more of those. So I think he's starting to get it down. And 
man, like his numbers don't jump off the page. They're pretty much what they've been. Like he's averaging like 14 and seven. That's, that's basically what he's been his whole career, but he's, I mean, he's the fifth, fourth or fifth option on this team. He's not getting the ball a ton. So, I mean, I think he's he's been so good. And if he had more responsibility offensively, I think those numbers would be way up because he's he's really he's really rounded his game out offensively and defensively. I mean, he's just been insane. He's he's leading the league in blocks by a lot. I looked at it yesterday. And I think it was like twenty something. It's probably changed now. It's but twenty. He's okay, leading. Yeah. He's leading. Go bear by twenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I don't see him losing that lead. I'll just say that because there's been a ton of games where he's blocking like five shots a game. And obviously that's not sustainable for a whole year, but I mean, he, him not playing center, I think is a huge part of that. Like we've talked about this a lot, but his help defense, he's one of the best help defenders in the league. He just, he's so good at reading the floor defensively and he absolutely frightens people at the rim every single just if you watch the pacers watch these ball handlers attack the rim as soon as they see miles they kick it out almost every time i mean the guys that take on like Giannis really had no problem beating miles yesterday that's that's just a given but but these smaller guys they're not challenging miles and that it really it really helps your defense when you're able to shoo away uh penetration like that well, there was one play where Giannis was driving and he, you know, he did a pretty good job of deterring Giannis. It's all about whether how well he times it, right? Because there are some plays where Miles, unfortunately, is the only big in sight and he has to help. And then there's a, there's a smartly timed cut and someone's wide open under the basket. But you're totally right. If the, if the team is playing four out, one in, <laughs> the guy that's going in is terrified of Miles. <laughs> I could see him averaging three and a half blocks a game this season. He is like, it's legitimately in their own possibility. What's standing out to me about miles though. Isn't just the block still in Hughes. He is getting his hands in there for steals. What you were saying about Jay Sean Tate. I was like, Oh God, I have to say this is the exact same thing about miles Turner because he's doing exactly that. He is poking his ball, his <laughs> poking his hand in there to get the ball out so easily. Like it's crazy. He's averaging 1.3 steals in addition to 3.8 blocks and that number the 1.3 number i could see that maybe even going up he has been playing out of his mind on defense this year and if he's not the defensive player of the year for you you're not watching (laughs) you're not watching the pacers plain and simple he is by far (laughs) their best defensive player it's not close and you're right playing off the ball the best thing that ever playing off the center i should say Best thing that ever happened to him because now he can just roam the weak side and just absolutely destroy people at the rim. Cause yes, you have guys on the perimeter that can just switch. You know, I'm really excited. Once um, TJ and Karis come back, I really want to see a lineup of, um, I want to see a lineup of Bragdon holiday, uh, Justin holiday, um, Levert and Warren and uh, Turner at the five. Yes, I know. I know that defeats the point of what we're saying, but I feel like that lineup has a lot of possibilities. You could switch all around the perimeter. I feel like that lineup, I don't know. It's something I want to see again. It's hard to talk about this team. Cause you know, obviously Levert had his, um, had his kidney situation. And then obviously we don't know when Warren's coming back. I want to say TJ, but there's two TJs on the team. So it can be <laughs> confusing, but I just, I feel like this team has a lot of firepower now. And on defense, I feel like, Miles can hold up the defensive end of the floor while the other team, while the other side 
you know, and he contributes the points too. I like, is he going to be like the sixth option <laughs> when everyone's back or maybe the fifth option over at lamb still lamb is your sixth option is going to be crazy. Well, you know, what's interesting is you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of firepower on the bench because you're going to have, I mean, it's probably going to be lamb. I'm, I was thinking about this. I wouldn't be stunned if Karis comes off the bench. I would be surprised. I wouldn't be stunned because first of all, he was doing it in Brooklyn and it was working pretty well. Obviously he is worth a starting spot, but there is so much ball handling in that starting lineup. Like I feel like someone has to come out and just put holiday in there. Because, I mean, maybe it's Warren. I don't know. I don't feel like that's a great idea, but it doesn't feel too good taking Karras out either. So, I mean, we'll get we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, I mean, there's a lot. This is the most creation the Pacers have ever had in my lifetime. I mean, everyone on this team can make their own shot at this point. Like, again, Miles is, is still kind of working on it, but he's he's close to there. I mean, these. I'm I'm excited because they they have a ton of firepower. There's a ton of offensive versatility and defensive versatility on this team. Yeah, Sabonis. We like we've talked all this way, but Sabonis has been playing out of his goddamn mind this season. Like it's truly <laughs> bonkers to just watch the progressions he's made from year to year. Because now he's handling the ball in the perimeter, and yes, does he still rely on his left hand too much? Of course. But I saw him shoot a right-hand hook once, Dylan Hughes. I, I saw him shoot a, a right-hand hook. Too. but I did, too. But he's averaging 22, 12, and 6 right now. <laughs> Blake Griffin in uh, Los Angeles numbers. I love the way he's playmaking. He's such a good passer. I mean, we kind of, you know, passing is genetic. And I, I think we all kind of figured that eventually the passing would come along because, you know, we all heard about his dad, you know, amazing passer. But he's a real engine of this team, and – this team on offense doesn't work without Sabonis. No, and and that's something you could see last year when when Miles was the center. Like, if you're going to have Miles at the center, you need all that ball handling on the floor because Sabonis. I mean, he's the hub. He's the hub of this this offense. I mean, he he runs everything. And even, I mean, I think I would say that him and Brogdon share that role, but. I mean, and those two work together really well. Like a lot of the actions revolve around those two, but Sabonis, I mean, he, without Sabonis, what is Doug McDermott? You know, Doug McDermott, and to be, to be fair to Doug, and this, this is credit to Nate Bjorker because I think he's unlocked Doug this year, but Doug is so much better with Sabonis. He always has been there. So much of his game comes off of dribble handoffs from Sabonis. And I think Bjorkren's implemented that with other players now where you just have McDermott coming off of, of curls basically and going to the rim without anyone challenging him. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen to this stat from Doug McDermott. The previous career high of him in percentage of his shots he shot at the rim was 41%, which was his rookie year in Chicago. And it's fluctuated significantly since then but right now he's shooting half of his shots at the rim that's crazy 
I mean, this is Doug McDermott, the three-point shooter. Like that – his his game is has really migrated away from the three-point line. Like he's doing a lot of stuff around the rim now. And, and again, that, that's huge testament to, to, to new Nate and Sabonis. Like those, those two guys have, have helped Doug a lot and it's helped the Pacers, but yeah, Sabonis, I mean, he just continues to get better, man. And he's, he's just so good at everything really. I mean, I, I'm interested to see what his ceiling is because I think, I mean, he was a lottery pick, but. I think a lot of people worried that he had a lower ceiling and I don't know. I mean, he continues to get better and I mean, he just gobbles up rebounds and he's such a good, he has such good vision and there's games where he's unstoppable at the rim. I think it wasn't the bucks game. It was the other game. He was like 13 of 15 from the floor. I mean, that is just crazy. Like that there's very few guys in the league that can, up numbers like that and obviously it was against Memphis yeah so obviously he's not like that every game but I mean his efficiency is is nuts and and he's he's getting three-point looks too and he's he's had three-point looks in his career but not this many and he's he's been knocking him down a decent clip and that's it's not something you want him to do a ton of but it's I think it's helped open things up for him and everyone else I think if Sabonis is going to shoot from three, he should shoot from the corner. Like, I think that'll probably be the best place for him in the offense. But man, he was the only person who could get anything going against Milwaukee last night. Like, Drew Holiday put on a masterclass <laughs> against Brad. Like, for some reason, he's just like, nah, fuck you, Bragdon. I'm shutting you down. <laughs> and he just put like the ever loving clamps on Bragdon last night. But that, that's to be expected. Drew Holiday is probably the best point guard defender in the league. It like if not the like one of the best two, <laughs> so yes, that's that's not unreasonable. But Sabonis like if he can get things going against teams like the Bucks or the 76ers or those kind of teams, that's going to be really valuable. The 76ers to me are the biggest test for the Pacers. I feel like the 76ers are a horrible matchup for the Pacers, just all around between Embiid, Simmons. Simmons has given the Pacers a lot of issues, <laughs> just generally speaking, but. And now that Dwight's on the um, Sixers too, which is a very, to me, a very underrated addition, I feel like, you know, you need to um, be creative because the, the, a lot of the ways Sabonis scores are using his body, but I want to see, I want to see them play Embiid because obviously the first time they played the uh, 76ers, Embiid sat. But I want to see that matchup because I want to see what Sabonis can do against the top of the top, right? He showed out last year against the Lakers, against Anthony, or actually, no, Anthony Davis was sitting. But still, he showed out against the Lakers, against Dwight, you know, last year. I want to see, I just want to see Sabonis against the top of the top because I want to know where he is in the NBA pecking order, right? Because that's the real conversation we should be having now. Like, if he keeps playing like this, I don't give a damn about, the, like, the defense. Like, you surround him with players that can, you know, Surrounded with players that can play defense, but like Miles, but I I love the way Sabonis is playing this year. Just absolutely love it. Yeah, the Embiid matchup is, and I mean, who can stop Embiid? You know, I'm not talking about on defense. For I want to see, I want see what happens when Sabonis is guarded by Embiid. Okay, that's what I want to see. You know, in the past, he's actually done pretty well against Embiid. Um, but this is a different animal, Embiid. Like, 
I think injuries permitting, he's probably the leading MVP candidate right now, or he's at least up there. I mean, he has been just insane. So I I am looking forward to that matchup as well because, again, <laughs> and I'm excited we have the Sixers next week because I'm excited to watch Embiid. But, I mean, that dude is, is fucking absolutely – annihilating teams right now. And I mean, I, I think you're right. That's probably the Pacers biggest matchup issue because man, I mean, you're right about Simmons. Like they just played them and you would think without Embiid, the Pacers would probably be able to beat them. But Simmons was just awesome. Simmons and table with that zone. That That's the thing. And everyone wants to criticize Simmons for his lack of a shot, which I get, but I don't think people ever cook in the fact of like how good of a defender he is. I mean, I would argue that uh, like, I don't want to say the majority, but a fair amount of his, his value comes on the defensive end. I mean, he is, when you pair him with another good wing defender like that, it's really tough to get stuff going. And we saw that and it's, it's going to be interesting, like not to break off into Philly, but, you know, we always talk about the Simmons and Bede matchup or the pairing. And I think this is the year where they may be able to kind of prove it right. So I'm interested to see how that goes. But as far as the Pacers, yeah, it's a tough matchup. And maybe Bjorken will be able to uh, scheme something, but it's it's going to be tough. I wish this Pacers team was the Pacers team last year because this Pacers team dubs like Miami, it's not beats them, but they give Miami a lot harder time yeah. in the first round. And we're going to have to talk about Miami again at some point because I don't think they're going to be this bad for the rest of the season. Again, they got really fucked by COVID. They were missing Bam and Jimmy and had to play without both of them for a little bit. So that's why their record is as bad as it is. Now they did lose to Washington, but this East is just so much tougher than any iteration of the East in the past 10 years between Milwaukee, Boston's probably <laughs> as crazy as it is, as crazy as it is to say, Boston's the fourth best team in the conference and they made the conference finals last year. Like this East is, isn't your, uh, isn't LeBron James's East. I'll say that. And I'm curious to see what happens in the playoffs. Cause I think in spite of that, the Pacers can make noise. They have more firepower than those other teams. Now, is it as good a firepower? No, but in terms of just strictly numbers, you like, you can't shut everybody down. Somebody's going to go off and we don't know what's going to happen with Warren. We don't know what's going to happen with Levert, but I mean, between Brogdon, Sabonis, Levert, Warren, Lamb, so much firepower. And then Turner, McDermott. <laughs> Hell, Justin Holiday is going to make a couple threes, right? This team probably, when, every, when everyone's healthy, should be scoring 115 points a game. And the offensive rating isn't great right now. Um, I have the cleaning the glass pulled up. I'll check the offensive rating real quick. Um, they're 112. They're 12th in the league in offensive rating at 112.6 points per 100. That's pretty good, you know? And I feel like it could be better than that. That's the crazy thing. So I want to see the full potential of this offensive unit. I think they have an amazing amount of firepower. Funny enough, we always say, you know, oh, imagine if this uh, Western Conference team was in the Eastern Conference. I feel like the Pacers this year wouldn't fare too badly in the West, as crazy as it is to say. 
I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. I don't know if they fare better. But the West has kind of been messy up to this point, but yeah, like that's the thing. Like Denver isn't even playing well at this point. Only Jokic is. Dallas isn't. Dallas isn't. And you thought Dallas? You were really high on Dallas. Um, again, give them a give them a pass. But I still like. I mean, I think playoff noise, but yeah, I, I listen, I love this Pacers team. Um, Jeremy Lamb, let's get your Jeremy Lamb thoughts off your chest before we, I think we touched on everything about the Pacers surprisingly, but Jeremy Lamb thoughts before we uh, close shop here. So I let, I mean, he's been very good offensively and I, I appreciate his offensive game. The thing I don't appreciate about his offensive game is that I think he's a little tunnel vision. I think you give him the ball in certain circumstances, he's just not going to move it. And again, sometimes that turns into a make and you just take that. A lot of times it's not. And my main problem with him, though, is defensively. He's probably the least fundamentally sound defensive player the Pacers have had in a long time. I mean, he is incredibly lazy. Like, you just know by watching the defender on a closeout whether the guy's going to make a three or not. If if the defender is slowly rushing over there and just looking at the guy, basically, you know the three's going in. It's like – and that happened – I don't remember which game it was, but I watched it. I was like, I was so upset because that's not how the Pacers play. And Jared – like, Dan Burke has fixed a lot of defensive players – and maybe since Dan Burke's gone, it's lightened up, but that's just not how the Pacers defend. Even bad defenders try here. That's that's just always been the Pacers' MO is like they're gonna be a defensive team. I mean, like we talked about Bogey earlier. Bogey came here as a bad defender. He's turned into a decent defender. TJ Warren last year was awesome on defense. Like he was I kept trying to think he was just better than he was but like I got to a point where I'm like I think he's really good on defense on defense he wasn't making any mistakes uh Doug McDermott is he still struggles but he tries and they put him in good enough positions where he's able to hold his own but Lamb just doesn't seem to care like he's he wanders off his guy way too much he's he's a major ball watcher and he doesn't really get beat on backdoor cuts too often but He's prone to that type of stuff because he's just he goes way too far off his guy, and and it just bothers me because that is how a defense breaks down. If you have one guy floating too much, you have to have every single other person rotate. And the Pacers are pretty damn good at rotating. Like they they all are pretty synchronized on defense. But again, it's just so much harder with Lamb playing like that, and and I hope that he's able to tighten it up or something. I, I mean, I'm sure he gets drilled in film for that kind of stuff, but it's, it's frustrating. Cause again, watching the Pacers for 10 years, that's just not what they do. Whether they have a good team or a bad team, they don't, they don't have guys like that. So it, it frustrated me. Well, the good news is I was going to say the good news is the Pacers should bounce back, but their next five games are new Orleans, Utah, Brooklyn, Detroit, and Atlanta. So they should go three and two. I don't know. I think they'll settle in around that four or five range like they always do. But this team is a lot better than the, the last couple of renditions of the Pacers. I think we can both agree on that. Listen, man, if they can make it out of the first round, I'm buying someone a cake. I haven't bought anyone a cake in a while. 
So if they can make it out of the first round, someone's getting a cake. I don't know who. Someone's getting a cake. <laughs> you have not bought anyone a cake in a while. Um, I think that'll just about do it for us. This was a hell of a basketball power hour. We went on so many tangents. <laughs> And I apologize that this one was a little longer than I wanted it to be, but you know, we, we just like talking to each other, Dylan Hughes. We, we talked about Detroit for like 40 minutes. How the hell did that happen? We didn't actually talk about Detroit for 40 minutes. That was the problem. We, well, we were talking about the Lob City Clippers for about 20 of those minutes. That is true. <laughs> and I started off, I'm like, oh, let's start with Detroit. We don't have much to say about them, which was true, but we apparently had a lot to say about 2013 Blake Griffin. So, hey, man. 2015 Blake Griffin is putting up similar numbers to DeMontis Sabonis in the playoffs, at least. So I, I just hope that Sabonis isn't relegated to Detroit in the future, just like Blake was. Listen, there's like five places I don't want NBA players relegated to. It's New York. It's Sacramento. It's Chicago. It's Detroit and Minnesota. Those, those are the five. Yeah, that's basketball hell. Um, <laughs> go check out our our other stuff on the um, on the Running Quick Network. Um, triple Option Pass. They'll be doing a shoulda, coulda, woulda at some point. You know, they do their their series on teams that that should have won national championship but didn't. You know, one of the best mm-hmm. ones is the 2007 West Virginia team with Pat McAfee, and apparently they um, they beat out uh, number two ranked Kansas was ranked number two at one point in that season. This is. It's been several months, and that fact is still stuck in my brain, that Kansas was number two in a college football season. That, that's remarkable, Dylan Hughes. You know, I, I, after watching Kansas basketball choke all these years, I'm not shocked that Kansas football also chokes. <laughs> Just, it's wonderful. Um, wonderful content from the Triple Option Pass. Um, Battleground was back this week. They, th- we're going to make that a bi-weekly thing at this point because it'll be easier to come up with topics to debate. They had a great show this week. Go check that out. Um, Lynn Sanity. I was on the last Lynn Sanity talking about the Matt Stafford trade. Um, we didn't talk about that, but Dylan, we're, we've been here for a while, so we're not going to talk about that now. Normally, I would ask you. Um, I know you're upset about the Colts, and so am I. That, we could leave it at that. Um, Lynn Sanity will be back next week recapping the Super Bowl, then they're going to pivot to college basketball. So that'll be fun. Um, Circle City Cinema, Zach just rambled for an hour and 20 minutes by himself about X-Men. God love him. You know, he's a, he obviously played a major part in this podcast. Um, shout out to Zach. And then we're going to be back with WandaVision next Monday. Um, I think that's all the pods. Yeah, that's all the pods. Um, Dylan Hughes, From One Young Soul to Another. Um, go buy that book. Um, subscribe to Heavy Pockets because Dylan Dylan's a great writer. If you don't buy uh, from one young soul to another, I'm just gonna go to your house. I'm gonna knock on your door. I'm gonna look you in the eyes very sadly, and I'm just gonna leave. I'm gonna leave, and then you're gonna be like, "Why does this dude look so sad?" So buy the goddamn book. Um, <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> thank you so much for going on this very long journey with me. Thank you, man. I I look forward to the future of discussing old basketball teams that saddened us once again. We can't talk about we can't talk about Derrick Rose next week. We I just I refuse to allow it. I refuse. I, I accept that. I I think I've discussed Derrick Rose enough in my life. <laughs>